Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. It's been a busy week. It's been rainy here in San Francisco, but we just recorded an awesome podcast with the only Hasu Fly. Um, he came on all the way from Europe, stayed up super late to record this fantastic pod for you guys, and I think you guys are really going to like it. Yeah, Hazu, for those who don't know, writes a ton of really dense, concise articles. Uh, you can check them out at uncommoncore.co. Uh, he's a pretty prolific and regular writer of, of a number of different cryptocurrency topics. We bring up like three or four of his articles in this uh, podcast, so you'll definitely know if uh, those types of content uh, will pique your interest or not. Uh, Hazu is definitely, I would call him like a, a Nick Zabo light. He talks a little bit about everything, uh, but he also makes it a little bit more specific to the current ongoings of cryptocurrency than Nick Zabo does. Um, so definitely a, a great resource for uh, aiding your comprehension of cryptocurrency. Yeah, I'm so glad that him and uh, his partner Zoo uh, got together and started working together. Uh, they've been putting out some awesome stuff and really uh, stuff that kind of goes against the grain of um, you know any specific faction of crypto politics. Uh, so I think that you know everyone would get a good understanding of social contracts, property rights, where stable coins fit into things, talking about maximalism, talking about uh, Bitcoin versus fiat, all that kind of good stuff. We mention it and cover it here on the podcast, but he just gets into all of it in depth all throughout his blog. So highly recommend you checking out Hasu Fly on Twitter and checking out UncommonCore.co online. All right, and let's go ahead and just get right into it. All right, everyone. I am super excited to have Hasu on POV Crypto. If you have not heard of Hasu, you are really in for a treat. This guy has been serving up incredible takes, incredible essays, really just awesome, kind of um, provoking, uh, you know, thinking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Hasu, thanks for staying up super late and getting on the podcast with us. Uh, would love it if you could introduce yourself and kind of tell, you know, your story of how you got into crypto. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I've only been in crypto since 2017, and um, before that, I've um done a couple of things. I've always been self-employed. Um, I've worked as a professional poker player for a couple of years and also run a, a little software business. Um, so I've done kind of a couple of things after school. I did not go to, I, I did go to university, but I actually I dropped out because I wanted to pursue some of my own business at the time. And um, I don't know, I've actually, I've used crypto in 2000. 13 I've used Bitcoin to pay one of my employees um, who was from the US so that was my first touch point with Bitcoin but I was not at the time interested in money or economics um, so while I used it and it, it was very useful it solved our problem at the time um, I did not think much of it and did not really look into it um, only in set in 2017, um, when a lot of my friends got into cryptos, where I kind of rediscovered it. Um, and not so much because of the rising price, but just because everyone was talking about it. Um, it was really hard not to be exposed to it. Um, yeah, and that's, that's when I actually started to, to look a, a bit more into it. It's kind of funny how the like the hype cycle, bring in new talent. All of us that are on this podcast right now, I think mm. are of class of 2017. And if you hear people who have been in crypto longer, they almost always have a story like, oh, I got in with Doge or, oh, I bought the top of 2013 or whatever. Um, so it seems like, you know, it, there's like this cycle and it's pretty cool seeing it develop and- It's your entrance Yeah, feet. and well, you know, develop and turn into, you know, people contributing to the space. Yeah, and ironically, I mean, Everyone always says it's the rising price that brings new people in, but I think it's more, I mean, the, the, the rising price might be the initial, uh, what, causes, what causes the cycle, but it's really this attention that is focused on the space whenever uh, stuff starts happening. And um, 
at least that, that, that was my experience. It was impossible not to read about, start reading about crypto every day and like have your friends talk mm -hmm. about it and just see it here and there where, I don't know, you never saw it earlier. So it's not, it's not as much people like tracking the price as it just, it, it's, it becomes like part of the public conscience. Yeah, so the way I view it is that the, the rising price makes everyone black hole of content and theory and predictions in the space of cryptocurrency uh -huh. that really like you know captures people and, and pulls people in and, and makes them stay. And I actually see you, Hazu, as one of those people that's making that black hole bigger because the content that you have is, is really, really good. And you had definitely have captured the world of short, dense articles that really pack a punch. Um, so, you know, A, thank you for producing content to keep us entertained in this uh, in this bear market, because mm -hmm. that's all always super, super valuable. Um, can you for our audience, can you kind of explain like how you view your work in, in the space? Like, are you primarily here to generate content or what, what else when when you get up in the morning, like and you start thinking about crypto, I'm, like, I'm assuming you do. Mm -hmm. Like, what else are you thinking about uh, working towards? Um, I actually I view my content as part of um like a self, like a tool to motivate myself to learn. Um, so mm -hmm. I found that when you work on your own, then, then you really need to give your life some structure and you need to have some kind of cycle where, where you get a reward, you know? So I think like we all do something because we get rewarded for it. And for example, like if you hang on Twitter a lot and you tweet something, then your reward is kind of, like how many likes and retweets you get, but that's not very healthy. So um, I try, Twitter is important, but I also try to, to write stuff that sticks. And I'm actually, I'm quite proud of my body of work so far in this space, because when I read my articles today, even the, the earlier ones, I feel like they all have aged quite well, because I don't know, it was not just trend following, but it was always a result of I don't know, sitting down for a few weeks and just trying to understand the topic bottom up. And it's really the, the teaching, teaching to others. I think that that's re that really helps me learn. So I think the co content producing is, is really a very good format for that. I've always done that. Um, when I was a poker player there, I always had like, a couple of students, um, who I was teaching on the side. And that, that was, I'd say, a huge part of my success there. So you can't really have the student-teacher relationship in crypto. I think, I think so anyway, because I don't know, it's, at least I, I, I have not found someone like who, who can teach me in the way that I, I got taught in, in poker and uh, how I taught others. So I tried to do it in the way of content producing. Um, because when you kind of force yourself to release content, um, you really don't want to look stupid <laughs> when you write something. So it really forces you to, to learn about a topic uh, inside out uh, so you can actually answer all the questions that are being thrown at you. Um, yeah, there, that answers the first part of your question, I guess. Um, um, so we made our website Uncommon Core. I made it with my friend Zoo. Uh, who actually co-wrote uh, co a lot of my articles and who was just uh, a great guy. If there is an, anyone who is like a mentor to me in the space, then it's definitely him. He is, in, is in, um, incredibly smart and educated. So uh, our process is a lot of the time, like we brainstorm about topics or it just comes up in conversation and then we just both say, this would be good to write about you know, and then we write it down um, and we, uh, we don't actually know where we want to take this at this point. So we, we, we made it into a personal blog, uh, moved away from medium to a degree um, because we had some pr problems there uh, where our articles were not being uh, distributed anymore for I don't know what reason. Um, it's fixed now. I got in touch with medium, but this was really a wake-up call of sorts because if, when you're a content producer and suddenly you're being I don't know I don't want to use the word censored but 
I mean, in a way, it is censorship if you um, if you write articles and suddenly, like, somewhere in this curation process, there's some guy who maybe holds a, a grudge against you and says, "Okay, I'm gonna flag this writer now, and his articles are not not uh, going to be distributed anymore on the website." So no one was able to see the content that we made for three articles in a row. Uh, no one who was not already following us. Um, so th that was really the wake-up call where we just decided, okay, we, I mean, if Medium is not driving any clicks to us, then we just might as well start our own thing and, and see where we go from there. Um, um, I, the, the idea is, I think, to do something educational a lot of our blog posts try to focus on that. We always have the ambition to, I don't know, for our readers to learn something and something that you can't necessarily get elsewhere, some kind of like more fundamental insight or a more high-level perspective. Um, but, I mean, apart from the articles, I, I guess we just see where, where it takes us. We could definitely imagine doing some kind of Educate like courses, you know, some kind, something in the education sector for sure. I feel like ultimately there's going to be an opportunity to teach institutions and organizations that are trying to get into crypto, blockchain, um, Bitcoin, hopefully um, about this kind of stuff. So whether it's you know structured around that or structured around ordinary people, uh, you know, the amazing thing about this space is how many people are contributing to education just because they have sick, uh, skin in the game. Um, and a, a lot of the work that you've done is kind of talking about incentives and skin in the game and you know, kind of how all this stuff is gonna shake out. And I find a lot of your takes are really refreshing, especially from someone who is definitely in the Bitcoin bubble on Twitter. Um, you know, you have a lot of unpopular opinions and um, you know, kind of refreshing takes. So we'd love to kind of get into you know, how you think about this space in general. And to, to tack on to that, like your articles are kind of spread over a number of different topics and, mm -hmm. and cryptocurrency and blockchains are very uh, multidisciplinary. Yeah. Like, you know, there's economics, there's game theory, there's history. Like of those disciplines that we find in cryptocurrency, like what, what do you tend to focus on the most? Ah, okay, yeah. So when I look at like the articles that we've written so far, I think there's really just two big topics we wrote about um, or just I mean it's basically all about crypt the cryptocurrency part right because we are both really big believers in like the money part of crypto we think that blockchain is money is like is really the first big maybe the only I don't know it's definitely the first big application for blockchain technology I think it's just a really great fit and I think just the time is right for for a change um, in the world uh, in our monetary monetary system our economy um, so we we really wrote primarily about um, well Bitcoin a little bit about Ethereum and um, about stable coins because stable coins are also an interesting application monetary application I think of this technology um, so. I guess when I started out in the space, or I mean in general, not even like historically speaking, but in general, when I look at topics, I, I think I have a very strong focus on, on incentives, um, on economics and game theory, which is really all, I mean, it's just three different words for kind of the same thing, right? How, how humans behave and kind of strategic situations and interactions. Um, and I think when you're dealing with a like, cryptocurrency is a really good it's, it's just really good to evaluate under this lens because a lot of the problems that we have with using like economic models and economic thinking and game theory in the real world are actually not present in cryptocurrency because we're dealing with a lot of anonymous people who have no repeated interactions so suddenly you have no reputation and like all the stuff that really complicates games in quotation marks in the real world um, 
so you, like cryptocurrency lends itself really well to this kind of modeling i think um so this is the first the first big topic that i think is very good to understand cryptocurrency um and the other is i think definitely history history just so you get an appreciation for you know that how long things are that things are not permanent i mean for the impermanence of things that everything eventually comes to an end um because we have so many people today who just grew up with this like form of money that we have today and and the way our monetary system works and you just grow so used to it if you're exposed to it every day that it feels so normal that even the idea of even thinking about that the idea that there could be something else is like totally alien to them and that's what history i think just gives you such a great perspective uh, about just in general that you know we are always just living in a snapshot of time um and tomorrow is always going to be different from today because today is different from yesterday um empires have like empires rise and fall and um even even like the world political orders is probably going to change drastically in our lifetimes and if you ask people if they you know how likely that is most of them would probably say it's they, they find it like extremely impossible to uh, extremely unlikely to impossible so yeah i kind i kind of try to keep uh, any appreciation for like how fragile the world is and just that things things that we are very used to today can eventually end and be replaced by something new something to kind of think about here is you know with potentially bitcoin as an institution this is something that you've talked about do you see it being a more resilient institution and something that potentially can bring some stability uh to the world and be less fragile than our existing systems and um you know how do you kind of see that shaking out i think the the time when bitcoin shines the most is probably ironically an era of like in global instability so I think Bitcoin will probably be like initially be associated more with like with instability and not necessarily with resi resilience just because it will be born into a time of global instability and um, I mean our financial system is highly over leveraged and I mean who knows where it might lead us but um, yet you're talking about into the future, not just in the past as yeah, well, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and Bit I mean, yes, of course, I think Bitcoin is going to be more resilient. Um, I think if you just, if you could like redesign the world's monetary system right now, then like no sane person would, th would say that, okay, let's do it like this, you know, this is, this is, how, this is how we want it. Um, it just has grown this way and everything is so interconnected and all the parts are so like all the individual parts are so dependent on each other um i give it an example so for example the like pay the payments uh like facilitating payments and lending in our current financial system are completely intertwined right so lending is I mean, banks create money and then back it with the reserves. And um, if a bank goes broke because like people forfeit on their debts, then it's not just the, the lenders who get wrecked. It's, it's basically everyone who had money with the bank. Um, e like even though they never implicitly or explicitly, sorry, agreed to, to do any kind of r risky activity with their money. So that there is not really any way to you know do something else with your money there's no consumer choice right now if you if you want your money in a in a full reserve bank right now that doesn't even exist you know not for consumers anyway um there was a, a proposal or basically a bank is 
the bank is currently in a lawsuit against um i think some i don't know if it's against the federal reserve in the us but uh, it's quite a narrow bank um it's a proposal for for a new type of full reserve bank um and it's actually they it got denied because it's too secure okay it's too attractive for consumers so it would itself pose a financial like a threat for the a threat of stability for the financial system because if if this bank gets too popular then it could cause like havoc among the other banks and 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 lead to a whole lot of debt to fail and so on so that's was that the official reason yeah yeah i think so let me see no. i can't wait what happens when they discover bitcoin so one of your articles was about monetary maximalism, yeah. right? And and we're talking about like Bitcoin is the currency of like um, stability and security in this time, uh, potential time of instability, especially with you know. So some people will say that the dollar is very insecure with the uh, with the how much debt that we owe, and you know Bitcoin was born out of the insecurity of the global financial crisis. Um, so kind of leading into your your article about monetary mm -hmm. maximalism. The I, I've always enjoyed the meme. I believe this was from Amin Soleimani, where Bitcoin is the currency of war, but Ethereum is the currency of peace. Uh, you know, Ethereum and peace, Bitcoin and war, and, and Ethereum is like growth and innovation, experimentation, mm -hmm. and Bitcoin is security and and no experimentation and then you know minimal attack yeah. vectors. So how do you see how do you see the coming? Do you see a coming war between Bitcoin and Ethereum in the claim for? the digitally native internet money uh and and how do you yeah, see that playing out question um so what i'm definitely more leaning towards bitcoin is also a lot of stuff that i like about ethereum and i think you touched upon you touched on some like some of the same stuff that i like about it i mean i think it's really hard to experiment on bitcoin and um to just work on bitcoin i mean when like as a young person today like what what can you really contribute to bitcoin but bitcoin is at such a such an advanced level um has only like the best of the world's best distributed systems engineers working on it um at least when, when you want to do base layer stuff then i mean what are you going to do it's, it's extremely hard to break into that and i think that's that's where like just from the human side like projects like ethereum create like really serve this demand for young people for young developers to just do something in the space and you know just experiment um and i think that's really important i mean i think some first of all it's, it's just it's just a result of demand and supply i mean when there's when there's so much demand from people to work on something crypto related but just so little to do and in a project like Bitcoin, where I just saw a thread where um, where they tracked basically the life cycle of a commit uh, in the Bitcoin repository, and it, it, it took between six months for a very simple change uh, to be implemented. You know, to just go through this process because even the simplest of changes needs an extreme amount of peer review, um, and you know that's just not very fun you know not, not a lot of people can <laughs> can do this they don't have the the patience for it um and it's not very rewarding so i think that altcoins in general they have the potential to breed a lot of um you know just great um distributed systems engineers and it gives us a chance to experiment with a lot with new technology that might eventually make it into some of the some of the projects that can survive. Um, take for example uh, Zcash. I mean, I don't think the project necessarily has a bright future, but I think it's great that research is done on be on uh, being done there on, on zero knowledge proofs. Um, I think that's very important research. It's just. I mean, I would not want to invest in it and I would probably not recommend anyone invest in it because it's really, it's research that's being socialized on, on Zcash investors that's ultimately probably not going to benefit 
the same people who paid it, you know, to pay for it. Um, but other projects. Um, and I mean, Ethereum has, has a lot of problems. I mean, which is, I mean, it, they kind of didn't want to believe it at first, but now it's kind of, I see like Ethereum 2.0, I see it kind of as a full, full concession. Like it's almost like in court, like you guilty, pleading guilty to all charges, you know, because Ethereum 2.0 really shares nothing with Ethereum 1.0, you know, not a single line of code. It's just, just a whole revamp of the original platform and the original vision, um, which is, which is fine. I mean, totally fine. I mean, it's just, you know, also a concession that maybe the early critics of the architecture were indeed right. So do you buy into Andreasi Antonopoulos' view that, you know, Bitcoin is like a lion and Ethereum is a shark and they're both like apex predators, but inside of their own ecosystem? Or do you kind of see see that kind of not true? Because I would say that that's not true and they, and like Bitcoin is in like North America and Ethereum is in Asia. And eventually once they grow big enough, they're going to run into each other and, and start, to, start to fight. So that's kind of how I view it. Like, how do you view the future between the, the, territorial land grab by each of these networks yeah i like your analogy better than andreas i think andreas is extremely reasonable uh, he's one of my favorite people in the space to listen to um i really enjoyed his podcasts especially the ones on ethereum versus bitcoin um but i do think like i'm a money maximalist when it comes to blockchain applications so I think necessarily in order to become big and survive, Ethereum has to become a form of money. And I mean, there's only, there's a shrinking number of people within the Ethereum community who don't agree with that. There's this some who see like Ether, some kind of like just token that's meant to be staked and just, you know, producing revenue from from, from people using the, the word computer in quotation marks. Um, but I think um, that, that Ethereum needs to become money and it is in the process of becoming money. I mean, the ICO, but the ICO boom is just the first real indication of that where Ether was undeniably being used as money. Um, and now with the uh, DeFi movement, Maker and uh, Uniswap, and they have a bunch more. Can't uh, can't name them all, but I mean these are very good projects, and um, I think that it clearly reinforces the idea that that Ether is slowly becoming a form of money, and when that's why I mean. You really can't uh, convince Bitcoiners that Ethereum is not like coming to eat their lunch, you know, if you will, um, because we mostly believe that in order to survive, every crypto needs to become money, and that leads every crypto that survives eventually on a war path with Bitcoin. I mean, that's a bit like <laughs> I don't know. I don't necessarily see it that way, but um, yes, every crypto is eventually, I think, going to compete with Bitcoin. Um, so I would say, yeah, when they get big enough, then they will compete with each other. It's not like they will never cross cross paths. So I actually think that this is a pretty good segue to another article that you wrote, which is, um, it's was it it's an honest account of fiat money where you kind of talk about the benefits of fiat money. And, you know, we're talking about altcoins interacting with bitcoin and cryptocurrencies fighting each other but you know potentially the bigger battle is uh with you know existing fiat systems and existing monetary systems um you know where do you kind of see cryptocurrency and bitcoin fitting into uh into fiat and you know does fiat still have leverage you know moving into the future i mean first of all when you're in crypto you get the impression that Fiat money is somehow like against the will of the people, which is really 
really not the case. I mean, you, if you ask, uh, just if if you ask people, actually, <coughs> then like I don't know, eighty to ninety percent are actually in favor of their country having a sovereign monetary policy. Um, and it's it's not, it's actually like all the political parties are in favor of it. Even in the, in the U.S., I mean, yes, maybe the Libertarian Party is in favor of, you know, going back on a gold standard. But both the Democrats and Republicans are definitely definitely in favor of uh, having a sovereign monetary policy because, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean, the perceived advantages are definitely the, the ability to manage your own economy, you know, kickstarted in, in a recession, um, the ability to fight crime, the ability to tax with inflation, um, and just in general to, I don't know, guarantee just price stability. And price stability is something that's just really valuable for the economy because it allows for better long-term planning. It's, you just eliminate a whole I mean, Bitcoin, as most of us should be familiar with the cost that comes from currency risk, right? You, you never know um, how much Bitcoin is going to be worth next month because it's very volatile. And that makes Bitcoin a very bad form of money for most people right now. So the Fed is in charge, or just central banks in general are in charge with managing the, the currency supply in a way that, you know, they the money is actually price stable against um, consumer products, most of all. Um, it's kind of an implicit agreement, I think, that yes, the currency is going to lose value over time. Risk cannot be eliminated. You know, the risk from currency swings, you know, from, from volatility cannot be eliminated. Uh, it can only be shifted, so it like eliminating this comes at, at somewhat of a cost, and I think this some of the cost that is actually uh, priced in uh, in the rate of inflation uh, to a degree. So I mean, I don't think you could, I don't think you could have a price stable currency without inflation. You can have a, a price stable currency with a degree of inflation, but probably not without. Um, Sorry, I lost a bit of track of the original question. I guess, the, I guess the original question was kind of focused in, you know, let's move into, you know, two, three years in the future, Bitcoin and maybe some other uh, blue chip cryptocurrencies are establishing themselves more and more. Lindy effect is growing. Market cap is growing. Um, usage is going. Yeah. Where does that, you know, where does that butt up directly with fiat and how do you see you know, is fiat going to shrivel away? Is fiat going to have more sound monetary policy ah. to compete? You know, where do you kind of see that all playing out? Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that, I mean, Bitcoin is much of a threat for the big fiat currencies. I mean, first of, the first thing we just discussed is that people really want sovereign monetary policy, most of them. So they will probably still keep supporting a fiat system. Um, but Bitcoin, I mean, if Bitcoin exists, then it still offers choice to people. And I think that's a choice that, I mean, not many, but I mean, some people even in developed countries are, you know, want to take. Um, and that will, I think Bitcoin will, will keep growing, keep growing over the next decades. Um, it's much easier for Bitcoin to steer funds uh, if you will, from weaker currencies, you know. Um, Bitcoin is very costly to hold. It requires a lot of sovereignty um, on the end of the user. It's very easy to, to lose Bitcoin. You know, it's, it's very cumbersome to use, very complex today. Um, and that, that, ho that just is, makes it just very costly for the end user. But this cost is fine. For example, if you, if your alternative is to hold like the Venezuelan, Venezuelan Bolivar, for example, you know, any kind of money that loses purchasing power month over month, or maybe you have a stable currency, but you're at risk of like, confiscations or censorship, 
for example, you need to get, you just want to get money out of China, for example, you will have a very hard time doing this with the national currency. And this is where, you know, Bitcoin comes in. There will always be things that you cannot do with fiat currency. And I think eventually this, this will lead to, to Bitcoin slowly growing. I'm not a believer in like hyper Bitcoinization. I mean, it, it will, I, I'm not sure if we will ever see Bitcoin being used as street money in the US, for example. I mean, some people might use it, but it's not going to replace national currencies. So one thing you said uh, uh, about a minute ago was uh, the, the choice of being able to go out to Bitcoin. And that ties into another one of your articles about, uh, I think it was your more recent one about the stable coins and uh, how stable coins are offering uh, a better alternative product than the, the banks that we know about today. Whereas like, for example, the MakerDAO system is implementing the DAI savings rate, which will allow DAI holders to collect two to three, four percent interest rate on their DAI. And uh, and you're proposing that other stablecoin systems are going to be able to, to do the same where, you know, for a company that has like a billion dollars in the bank receiving interest rates on those uh, on that um, on those on all of those funds. Well, they'll be able to in order to compete for users and to in order to grow their own network of their stable coin, they're going to take those the interest rates that they get from that $1 billion in the bank and give it back to the their users. And so I think, I think there's a, a, lot, a lot to be said about the, the coming competition that choice has because now that we have these decentralized alternatives that are like also tech startup companies that are really trying to bootstrap their network as fast as possible, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the traditional tr uh, traditional systems that like especially the banking system which has not had competition in uh, over a few in centuries ever maybe and so uh, i was wondering if you could kind of go go into any further beliefs or ideas that you have on where consumer choice and conflict with the tr like legacy system do you, where where do you see that coming into play and how do you see that benefiting the yeah. consumer um so first of all Many people think that Bitcoin should be should be some kind like focus on consumer payments, um, and that's something that I really really don't believe in, because I think this is part this is like the most optimized part of I mean the payment industry in general. I mean there's really not much to improve with paying your coffee at the corner shop. Um, I think we have some incredible options there and it's just, it's extremely hard to disrupt this kind of thing, especially if you consider how little trust is required. Um, I mean, are you willing to trust an, an intermediary with storing, I don't know, 50 bucks on a prepaid card or, you know, doing some kind of credit arrangement with them? Of course you are. I mean, most people are. So this is not, not something that something with the properties of Bitcoin that bridges trust and like distributes trust on like a whole network instead of one intermediary. This is not something where Bitcoin can attack. Um, I think it's, it will be the more fundamental use cases, um, like the base money itself where Bitcoin is going to compete with, but for other use cases, I think stable coins are very interesting. Uh, I like to think of stable coins as not, I mean, we have to separate something like DAI from the collateralized stable coins. Um, so something like Tether or USDC, I like to think of that as just a wrapped dollar in a bank. And this, I mean, ultimately you're dealing with dollars in a bank and this is reflected in the business model of these providers. I mean, a lot of people just deposit their US dollars with them. They put it all in a bank account. They earn interest and that's how they make money. Um, and meanwhile, they, you can transfer the money online, but it never leaves their bank account. So they, you know, they, they just have a new central ledger where, where people can, can transfer between each other. Um, but of course, they th these products can iterate on what current banks do and i think stable coins will become like this kind of wrapped 
dollar will become increasingly popular because well it just it's just um, a lot easier to use I mean it's faster to transfer in many cases it's cheaper to transfer as well it's more transparent um, I, I don't know I mean I think stable coins are like a great application for for blockchain technology and the whole financial system uh, you can imagine as like layers on top of layers and, and this is just one more layer I mean every layer wraps the asset from the layer just below it and like does something with it you know um, and uh, yeah I absolutely see stable coins as like another iteration of of the you know the, the, the fiat currency and uh, and the current financial system and, and one that will definitely benefit consumers and drive down costs um, so yeah I, I'm really supportive of it and another interesting point maybe is it's not as much a debate today but I remember like six to twelve months ago there was for a while there was a lot of talk about you know will central banks release their own form of cryptocurrency or like of dig digital money um, and I remember writing a, a thread about that on Twitter that I thought that like my prediction was that yes I mean the if I was the Fed then I would be worried about the the new features that blockchain technology brings and um, that are possible with the new technology but I don't think they will centrally act on any of that I mean they, they won't release a, a new form of digital dollar but instead they will just give the they will give the private industry the ability to experiment with the dollar and wrap it like we see with stable coins right now so the stable coins are sort of I mean this is really it's isn't it surprising that this is happening right now that like private companies are allowed to like wrap the US dollar and enable all sorts of new transaction capabilities and stuff often even without like K KYC and AMF I mean it was very interesting to me at the time so yeah I think this is what we see instead of something like a Fed coin where the Fed says uh, and the, the financial regulators in the US say, say yeah I mean we want part of that innovation but we think that maybe the private mar the private industry knows better what to do with this so we will let them take the dollar and do something innovative with it one thing that kind of jumps out at me and uh like you really illustrated this is uh kind of these u.s backed uh fiat currency stable coins are kind of like the dollar getting more competitive or the fiat system getting more competitive to compete with these purely um, digital systems like bitcoin i do find that pretty interesting and I, i'm also glad that you brought up the fact that um you know the u.s government is not going to create a stable coin like uh, venezuela did mm -hmm. or a, a, a cryptocurrency but rather they were going to enable you know private crypto banks to do it for them like coinbase and i've been i've just been personally tweeting um like usdc is fedcoin gemini dollar is fedcoin totally because uh, i definitely think that you know it's already here and it's crazy that this concept people have been talking about forever mm -hmm. has essentially emerged and no one's talking about it which i find insane it, it is definitely here yeah i agree and this is the closest uh, that we will come to fedcoin i think are the fiat versus crypto wars going to happen inside of crypto territory? I mean, the crypto space is so small relative to like the, the whole monetary space, like of all monetary assets, that I think that anyone, anyone who's brought into like the space of, of holding digital assets is a net positive for cryptocurrency. Even someone who holds stable coins I think it's a it's definitely good for Bitcoin. Um, Everything is good for Bitcoin. I mean, if the Fed if the Fed actually was to release like make digital payment like bring out Fedcoin and make like everything digital, that would be the best thing that could ever happen to Bitcoin. You know, like within 
I don't know, a few months, like everyone would become familiarized with the idea that digital, like money that exists purely digital can have value. And I mean, something that for us, like who grew up with it is like totally a normal idea. But I mean, for my parents, not so much. And for my grandparents, it's kind of unthinkable. Okay. But if the Fed comes out and says, okay, tomorrow, you know, there's no more cash, all money is digital. And they even bring it in some kind of form that even resembles something like Bitcoin, you know, that runs on a blockchain or whatever. That's, that was just, that would just be the best thing that, that could happen to Bitcoin because it would bring in so many people into the digital asset space. So yeah, to answer your question, I think, I don't know. I don't see this as a war. I think um, everyone coming into this space is a, is a net positive. And um, I mean, eventually then differences that are not really sustainable. I mean, say for example, using Bitcoin for consumer payments was a good early example, but this is just, or like making cheap payments, you know, like the cheapness of Bitcoin payments. Some things are just when you look at it, when you come from it in a bottom up perspective, uh, they are just so obviously not sustainable um, that I can like, I can probably, we can probably assume today that this, that this part of Bitcoin is going to be disrupted. You know, this is not going to be served by the Bitcoin base layer. Um, and eventually all assets will have to compete in their final state. I mean, it, it comes down to what they can offer, what no one else can offer. And I think that's, that's definitely the reason why I'm so bullish on Bitcoin because Bitcoin clearly has properties that fiat currency, no matter how you wrap it, cannot offer. So Hazu, we're coming into a crypto bull market, at least sentiment on Twitter as of the last three days, you know, uh, Ether and Bitcoin are up like 20%. Uh, so given that this might be the start of a not being a bear market, what are you looking forward to in this next cycle of cryptocurrency? What do you hope to see happen? What are you optimistic for? And uh, anything that you expect to happen in, in the next coming like a uh, phase of cryptocurrency's well, maturity? I mean, as a content producer, I'm sure hoping to expose a lot of new readers to, I don't know, the ideas that I've been working on. I mean, when you browse through articles that were, for example, published in 2017, it's just, I mean, crazy how they got like between five and 10 X, at least the numbers that we get today in the bear market. So there really were a lot more people there, uh, a lot bigger of an audience. So that's just my very narrow perspective. I mean, I think it would be great to, to build a bigger audience. Um, I mean, for you guys as well, I guess. <laughs> um, um, but apart from that, let's see, I mean, I sure would like to see less fraud. Um, I mean, the ICO boom was really unsavory, um, but I feel like I feel like they are making a comeback right now. At least from what I'm looking at the last days. I mean, just with the new, they kind of wear yeah, EIO. They wear a new dress today. It's like I don't know. It feels like putting lipstick on a pig, but um, yeah. I'm afraid that they will make a comeback. Um, maybe, the, I mean, ICOs really, they have so many big problems um, that in my opinion are unsolvable that even if there were good use cases to finance, I'm skeptical of the, like the model of an ICO itself. So there's one thing that I'd really like to see solved um, maybe with some kind of new issuance format, a new fundraising format. And that's um, the ability to like for token issuers to buy their own coins. I think that's, that's really the fundamental problem with ICOs. Um, so for example, David makes an ICO um, where um, we can, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I send you, I don't know, $10 million, no problem. Um, and you issue coins for these $10 million and then you can take the $10 million or you can, or you just borrow $10 million and pay them back later. 
and you also invest in your own ICO, which is obviously free for you because you pay it to yourself. And then you can just issue you the same number of coins that I just got. And suddenly you, you, you not only own $10 million, but you own also 50% of the outstanding token supply for free. And that's really, it is impossible to control. I'm sure it happened on a huge scale in ICOs. Um, and this is still not really talked about. I mean, it's crazy to me how a format that is so fundamentally broken can become so popular. And if we have to live through another ICO boom, then I'd really love to see new models um, that maybe can plug this hole. I don't know how, but it would be great to see. Um, so there's no way there's another ICO boom. Like oh, people oh can't man. be that stupid. You just wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's actually one ICO format that I'd really like to see, and. It is so obvious, but it's just surprising to me that we are not seeing it. And it's just that um, a um, a company can like issue tokens whenever they want. You know, that's all. Like a regular company that can issue shares and sell them on the market and can buy back shares. You know, so I think this is like the this idea that Bitcoin kind of brought this idea of fixed supply into the cryptocurrency space, but for a company, the idea to have a fixed number of shares and this is kind of absurd and totally doesn't work because companies need to be able to raise, to, to issue new shares and sell them on the market. You know, that's like, who knows when they will reach maturity and become profitable. So they need to be able to raise more money. Uh, so th this has always been kind of absurd to me um, that uh, the token projects are not able to issue more tokens. Um, because they really shouldn't, they're trying to look like currencies and feel like currencies, but of course they are not currencies. They are kind of pseudo equity. They really are securities. And I don't mean that in a kind of like, in a way that I, I hope that SEC cracks down on you way of saying securities, but they, they actually are securities in a good way, you know, uh, at least some of them. Uh, the one that have any uh, chance to survive are securities. Um, so yeah, I think this would be like these two things I would really like to see fixed. And yeah, this is kind of like the, the, the I guess the, the um, yeah, so I mean, many people would respond, I guess, with saying, well, if they can issue shares whenever they want, you know, won't they delude us? Uh, um, to eternity, I guess, you know, just cause a hyperinflation of their, of their token. But this is really, I think even like Bitcoin's fixed supply is not even like the best thing about it. It's just the ability to have competition in the, in the currency space. And even if Bitcoin wasn't fixed supply, even if, if there was some central issuer that could issue new tokens, that would still be a really big deal because when you can have competition between different issuers, then I think this forces every issuer to be a lot more conservative and a lot more consumer oriented. And um, so you don't actually need to need cryptographically enforced scarcity. You can have economically enforced scarcity because people are going to dump a currency, you know, that's transparently printing money. So, yeah. But didn't money competition exist before? I guess not globally, huh? Yeah, right. I mean, and even within, you know, even locally. Do you really have currency competition? I mean, can you go out and issue a new currency or are there kind of legal tender laws preventing that? I think it's really, really hard to issue local currency. So do you think that, you know, this is going to lead to a mass privatization of money? That's what I'm hoping, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that governments would still compete, um, but they will outsource it way more to private companies, which is what we are seeing with stablecoins right now, to loop back to that. Um, I think govern governments are really bad at competing in the market. I think we see that with almost everything in the economy. I mean, 
products that are issued by governments and run by governments are usually inferior to products and services issued by private companies. And that's, that's also why, I mean, for the stuff that government is responsible for, they usually have to enforce a monopoly because otherwise they wouldn't be able to compete. Uh, and that's what we are seeing with, uh, with money. I mean, fiat money is, is ultimately money, money for the benefit of the collective. Um, fiat money is run with the goal of, you know, price stability, the ability to fight crime, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, and, and to tax uh, as a form of, uh, of tax, uh, like it's, it's, it's a currency that is more taxable. Um, and th these are all things that, that are meant to benefit like the whole body of the population, not the individual. Um, but if the, it's ultimately, ultimately the, uh, it's not a, a population that decides on picking one money, but this decision has to be made by the individual. So if you have a currency that is tailored to the needs of the individual, which is Bitcoin, Bitcoin is definitely the currency of the individual and you have the currency of the collective, then what is the individual going to pick? They're going to pick the currency that is like tailor-made to their needs, even if it's maybe worse for the collective. But, you know, maybe fiat currency in that way can be seen as a sort of like, um, there's one institution in the middle like the government that's breaking the sort of like prisoner's dilemma of uh, everyone would pick the currency that's best for them, but not best for the whole uh, economy and society. So that's also a way to see it. But I mean, it doesn't really matter which is better. It just matters what people are going to pick. And if they have the choice, then I think many would pick Bitcoin. Oh, well, I mean, I sure hope that they pick Bitcoin. I'm picking Bitcoin every day over here. <laughs> yeah. When people pick Bitcoin, it's good for Bitcoin. That's true. Can't escape it. Same when, the, <laughs> same when, when they don't pick Bitcoin, it's good for some other Bitcoiners. I'm sure I could spin it in some way. I'm sure you could. Hasu, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I know it's late over on your side of the world. You know, I think there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm sure I'm going to be listening to this uh, this interview myself a couple times. Um, if you have any last statements for our audience, any requests, uh, you know, I think this is a good time for you to kind of voice them. Who do you want to hear from? All that good stuff. No, nothing. Nothing comes to mind. I'm all empty now. Yeah. Well, definitely you guys keep up the great work. Really, like, your podcast is still very new, but I really enjoy it already. Uh, so, yeah, keep it up. Thanks, Hazu. Where can people find you on Twitter? Um, I'm on Twitter as... Um, at uh, H-A-S-U-F-L A-S-U-F-L and um, you can find especially just come to our blog it's uncommoncore.co where I'm writing with my friend Zoo and we have a few articles coming out in the coming weeks that I'm working on right now so don't miss that it's great Sunday morning coffee light reading Thanks. I highly recommend them Awesome. We'll definitely be plugging them on our side with uh, with the podcast Twitter and our personal Twitters. I'm always a big fan of your stuff, Hasu. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping we introduce you to um, a lot of new folks. Um, you can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod on Twitter. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. David, where can they find you? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Please rate and review the podcast. We went like two episodes without making the request. So here's the request. If you guys could please rate and review the podcast. It's basically our currency. Five star reviews are our currency. So if you could just yeah. pay us. <laughs> you heard it, guys. Rate and review. <laughs>